Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, today on Kidney Talk, we're going to be talking about a subject that we get a lot of phone calls and emails uh, from people who are suffering from kidney stones. And today we have Dr. Curran, who is a nephrologist at Brigham and Women's Hospital and a professor of medicine and epidemiology at Harvard Medical School. And so we're so grateful to have him because he's an expert on kidney stones. So welcome to the show, Dr. Curran. Thank you. I'm very happy to participate. So tell us, what is a kidney stone? Well, believe it or not, they actually are stones that form in the kidney. Um, The urine usually dissolves all the substances, the waste products we try to get rid of, but occasionally the substances don't say dissolved and they precipitate and form a crystal and a crystal grows into a stone and that's what we call a kidney stone. And so basically they're in the kidney, so I'm I'm thinking about a kidney and it's sitting in your body and couldn't they be at the top of the kidney and they got to go all the way through it or are they at the bottom? <laughs> yeah, so remember the, the kidney has the, the meat part, which is where the filter part goes, and then it has the, like the urine space where the urine collects before it drains down the ureter into the bladder. Mm-hmm. And it's the renal pelvis, that's where the end of the, uh, the filters are and that's where the urine first drains out of the kidney and that's where the stones typically form. There is a top and bottom part to the renal pelvis, and the stones can be anywhere in there. And just so you know, they're usually attached to the lining of the kidney. They're not rolling around in there. Okay, it's not like playing marbles or something, you know, they're not going around. Now, who gets kidney stones? Unfortunately, anybody can get a kidney stone. Um, Sometimes it happens in children, but that usually, if there's a genetic disorder for it to happen that early, um, but kids can get them as early as uh, infancy. Um, the most common times for individuals to form their first kidney stone is between about 20 to 40 or 50, but even somebody that's 70 or 80 could form their very first kidney stone. And both men and women get it, um, though it's much less common in African Americans than in Caucasians. Wow. And, and is there a, is a reason, is it something that they can do um, that causes kidney stones? Or is it just something that people are either a stone maker or they don't make stones? Well, no, the vast majority of stones can be prevented. And so there are some people that have a genetic predisposition. So those with a very strong family history of stones are more likely to get stones than other people. Um, But it's clear that there's been an increase in the uh, likelihood of someone getting a kidney stone. So that means that there's environmental factors. And our group and others have done a lot of research and have found a number of what we call modifiable risk factors for stone formation and that includes dietary factors, but actually even more recently, we've found that uh, body size or obesity is associated with a higher risk of forming kidney stones. And when you look at somebody's lab results, is there like calcium higher or is there something that's on a person's lab report that would say, wow, you might be at risk of having a kidney stone that they need to look about? Yeah, so there are some uh, relatively rare conditions. So you mentioned calcium, and I, I assume you mean calcium in the blood. Right. Um, and if the calcium level in the blood is high, that's usually due to something uh, that's called primary hyperparathyroidism, or it's a, a hormone disorder that results in too much calcium getting in the blood. And then the kidneys, 
being the best organ in the body, get rid of all the calcium in the urine. And so there's more calcium in, in the urine, and so it's harder for it to stay dissolved. But for the vast majority of people that form kidney stones, their blood tests are perfectly normal. It's the urine tests that are not normal. Okay. So when you, you go to the doctor and you get a urine test, what would be an indicator that you might be pre-exposed to having stones? Yeah. So actually, the typical urine test that we do, whether you go to your primary care uh, provider or if you went to a kidney specialist, a nephrologist, is that we usually look for things like white blood cells and um, red blood cells and protein. And actually, none of those things uh, cause kidney stones. Sometimes people that already have kidney stones will have some red blood cells or white blood cells. What I was referring to uh, previously was if we actually start to measure, say, for example, how much calcium is in the urine or how much oxalate or, or phosphate, there's other factors that are related to stone formation. So the typical things that you do when you go to the doctor, they won't be able to tell you whether you're at higher risk or not. Well, when somebody passes a stone, now how big are these stones? I mean, are they the size of a marble, or the size of a pea? Um, what's the biggest stone you've ever seen? Well, yeah, I don't want to scare off all okay. the listeners. What's the smallest stone? What's about the, what's the smallest stone you've ever Typical seen? Typical size would be about three millimeters. So that's, you know, basically just the tip of a pencil. Um, if you broke it off, that would be the size. But because the stones, once they move from the kidney into the ureter, that's the tube that connects the kidney to the bladder, mm-hmm. um, since the ureter is used to con- conducting fluid along it, when something solid or hard gets in there, it doesn't like that. And so sometimes it can cause a blockage, and then that can cause a lot of pain. But stone, the smallest stones that we can see are usually about a millimeter, which is pretty tiny. But the biggest ones are certain kinds of stones. Um, for example, these stones due to infection um, that can actually fill up the whole renal pelvis, that whole collecting system, and they could be several inches in size. Oh, and that could really just take out your kidney, right, if you don't address it? Yeah, so the stones, uh, the typical kidney stone doesn't seem to damage the kidney, um, but the more stones people have, it's possible that the stone-making process may ultimately result in some kidney dysfunction. But if the stone tries to pass and it's blocking the ureter, then that can temporarily stop the kidney from working. Um, but the, the really big ones are often due to infection or some other problem that ultimately can result in some uh, kidney damage. But for the vast majority of people with kidney stones, it probably doesn't hurt the kidney. We have people calling who have kidney stones and they don't have health insurance, and hopefully that'll change soon. But um, the pain is just sometimes unbearable. Oh, yeah. So if the stone's just sitting in the kidney, it almost never causes any symptoms. But when the stone moves from the kidney into the ureter, that tube I mentioned, um, that can be the worst pain a person can have. And so patients that have had stones, if it's a man, they'll say it's the absolute worst pain and that they wish they would die. For a woman that's had a stone and has gone through natural childbirth, they say that they would take natural childbirth any day of the week. They're just, the, the pain is just so intense. As far as the insurance issues, I agree with you. It's extremely unfortunate that that would prevent anybody from getting treated uh, for an acute stone. Um, But if the pain is that severe, almost always the individual ends up going to an emergency room. And how long does it take to pass through the ureter? I mean, once the stone enters. Yeah, so it depends on how big the stone is. The smaller the stone is, the easier it is for it to pass. So usually if a stone's about six or five millimeters, most of those pass on their own. Sometimes it can take 
just a few hours, but sometimes days. I actually saw a patient just the other day um, who had a stone, and the symptoms were intermittent for months. And um, when I ordered another x-ray, it turns out that the stone was still stuck in the ureter, but because it wasn't completely blocking, his symptoms were kind of coming and going. But th- that was unusual for it to take months. It, it, if it hasn't usually passed in a few days, then oftentimes a urologist, not a nephrologist, but a urologist, a, a surgical kidney specialist, um, would uh, use some sort of procedure to try to get the stone out. Now, uh, just curious, somebody who loves jewelry, now, has it ever been tried where these stones can turn into any precious jewel in the future? I mean, I'm just a little curious. Yeah, precious, no, because unfortunately, you know, there's millions of people that are making stones in the United uh, States. So you're I not guess have so. Mu- much yeah. of a market. I know, I guess that's it. So what are some of the dietary factors that um, are related to kidney stone formation? So I, I didn't mention before that there's all different types of stones, and so I, I should mention that. So the most common type of stone is calcium oxalate, but there's also calcium phosphate stones and uh, uric acid stones and cysteine stones, struvite stones. But calcium oxalate make up close to 90%, so most of what we know for dietary factors are related to that. And so factors uh, that increase the risk of calcium oxalate stones are a, a low-calcium diet. And that may seem counterintuitive that say, well, wait, a low diet in calcium would be harmful. But we found that, actually it's been 20 years now that uh, we first found that, and it's been repeated multiple times. And that's probably because people on a lower calcium diet may absorb more oxalate from their diet, and that mm-hmm. oxalate gets into the urine. And remember, the stones are calcium oxalate, so the oxalate's important too. So a low calcium diet, a high oxalate diet, a high... Uh, a, a diet that's uh, low in fruits and vegetables and low fluid intake would all increase the risk. So if you say, let's turn that around and say, well, what can we do to try to lower the risk? Well, if you have adequate dietary calcium intake, if you eat lots of fruits and vegetables um, those and, and drink uh, a fair amount of water, and it doesn't need to be 10 8-ounce glasses per day, um, but uh, several glasses of water per day, all those things will reduce the likelihood of forming a kidney stone. Because the water is helping flush, is that how it works? Is that the mechanism? It helps uh, dissolve the substances. Remember, oh, okay. the way I think about it is with how much water is in the urine. Okay, and urine is just really water with a bunch of stuff dissolved in it. And if you kind of think like a cup of coffee, the bigger the cup of coffee, the more sugar you can get dissolved in it. But if you have a tiny cup of coffee, you know, or a small amount of urine output, you can't dissolve much in there. So by, have, by drinking more, then you end up making more urine, and then the urine's more dilute, and it makes it less likely that precipitation will occur. Well, yeah, I was uh, had a group of people with kidney disease over the other day, and we were all talking about our urine test. We all have transplants, so we're like, there's got to be a certain color of urine that makes sure to, to let us know we're drinking enough, and if it's too dark, we're, we're not drinking enough water, because, you know, once you get transplanted, you got to drink a lot. When you're on dialysis, you don't drink a lot, so... So uh, now, tell us a little bit about um, what beverages are right to drink, because, I mean, I was told by my transplant nephrologist that if I drink caffeine, it doesn't count. I have to drink eight glasses of water or tea, decaffeinated, anything without caffeine in it. Yeah, so, well, they told you wrong. They did? I'm sorry to say, yes. Oh, I can drink more coffee. Okay. Most of the things that we drink are actually 99% water. Okay. or very high percent. So, you know, sh- uh, sodas, you know, sugar sweetened sodas, um, uh, tea, coffee. When you really think about it, you know, when you make the tea or 
you can see that the vast majority of that is water. So caffeine um, may make the uh, make make it a little bit harder to concentrate the urine, which, if for a kidney stone standpoint, it's good. Actually, we've actually published that uh, coffee and uh, tea actually are associated with a lower risk of forming kidney stones. Um, and anything that makes the urine more dilute is going to be beneficial from a kidney stone standpoint. Some people were told don't drink alcoholic beverages, and turns out that that's not correct advice from a kidney stone standpoint either, that alcoholic beverages were also associated with a lower risk. And that's, again, probably because it increases the amount of urine that's being made. As long as you're drinking, it doesn't matter what, right? That's the message. <laughs> Actually, so, but sugar-sweetened beverages, so sugared sodas um, and punch, actually those uh, do increase the risk of stone formation. So, so um, the general rule would be to say don't drink beverages that contain calories. So if you're talking about artificially sweetened or, or water-type beverages, those are all uh, protective. So even like, um, so are you talking, you're talking about artificially sweetened like Coca-Cola, but what about Diet Coke? Yeah, so that's what I mean. Artif when I mean artificially sweet, I mean the diet one. Okay, so any type of soda that has any artificial or regular sugar in it is not helpful. Well, yeah, sorry. When we say artificial, uh, uh, usually when we talk about artificial sweeteners, I should okay. say. So the sh we usually divide, divide it by sugared sweetened beverages. So those are the sugared sodas. And then there's the diet ones, which are artificially sweetened. So the artificially sweetened ones are fine. It's the sugared sweetened ones. Okay, I got you. You know, that's what, because um, I've been hearing more and more about artificial sugars and, you know, I don't drink any soda very rarely, but every once in a while, like a, a diet root beer and I've been really disciplined about not drinking sugary sodas and it's, when you do, it's so sweet. I mean, it's like, oh my goodness, it's like drinking like masses amount of sugar if you don't drink it regularly. So I agree. I mean, there's lots of reasons now for kidney stones weight gain, gout, that heart disease, diabetes, that why people should avoid sugared sweetened beverages. So uh, how, do, how do you go about evaluating a patient who has a kidney stone? So there's two parts. Um, one is if they have stone symptoms, if they're having pain, for example, then they need to see a urologist and get evaluated. So I'll talk about it from the nephrology side once uh, they're no longer symptomatic from their stones. And so we um, I encourage individuals who have had a stone to see a nephrologist, someone that's interested in stone prevention, because once you've had one stone, you're much more likely to get another stone. But the vast majority of stones, as I said before, can be prevented. And the evaluation is actually pretty straightforward. You know, we take a careful history, as always. Um, we take a dietary history, find out what other uh, medical problems the individual may have. And then uh, we order blood tests if indicated, but really the, the most important test that we do is a 24-hour urine collection, and we ask individuals to collect all their urine for 24 hours, and then we send that to a laboratory to measure a variety of things, and that lets us know, first, how likely are they to form another stone, and then second, which things should we focus on to try to reduce the likelihood of new stones from forming. Well, it's, um, I had a couple of friends that have had kidney stones and, you know, they don't want to go to the doctor. I guess they're not horrible, but they're in pain and they've, they've, you know, lived with it for a while. And, uh, is there anything you can do if you have like a little stone? Can you just drink a lot and lots of water to help it pass faster? Is there something you can do if you're not seeing a doctor? Yeah. So I wish that I had that magic potion that would dissolve kidney stones. Unfortunately, 
um, the vast majority of stones will, will not dissolve no matter what you do. Um, so my focus for people that don't want to be evaluated is to have them drink as much as they can each day, and that will keep that stone that is there from getting any bigger and hopefully keep new ones from forming. Um, I really discourage people from buying anything on the Internet that says it dissolves stones because I wish it worked more than anybody, but um, there's really no evidence that those things work, even though we all wish that they could. So, um, But if someone's continuing to have symptoms, um, unfortunately the only way that I'm familiar with is to be evaluated by a urologist to see if there's something that can be done to try to keep the that stone from causing symptoms. Yes, I know it's um, because it could be something that's maybe uh, anatomical. There could be all kinds of reasons that may not just be that, you know, your dad had a kidney stone, so you have one and you just got to get through it. And it's it's really important to see a nephrologist and a neurologist. Well, uh, Dr. Curhan, thank you so much for explaining kidney stones. I mean, I'm, I'm very grateful. I've never had a kidney stone, but I have had four kidney transplants. So I think I've, I've paid my due. Uh, but, um, I, I know that when I've, some of my friends, like they're doubled over, they can't get out. And just to think like a little tiny size of a pencil pinhead can cause that much pain in your body is, you know, it's kind of hard to fathom that, but, um, it's one of the most painful things you can go through. So. Yes. And again, I just want to make sure that even if you've had one, subsequent ones can be prevented. So I really encourage people to try to figure out why. Drink, 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 right? Yes. Thank you so much, Dr. Kerhan, for educating us about kidney stones. And on behalf of all patients, thank you for so much of what you do to help improve our lives. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.